obviously the the more informed and educated our coaches are, the better our swimmers will be. And uh, not only at a state and national level, but also on the international stage. Welcome to Swim.Rocks, the show that shares ideas, information and inspiration between swimming people who stay dry. In today's episode, Ben chats to Brendan Ward, CEO of Australian Swimming Coaches and Teachers Association, or better known as ASTA. Brendan talks about ASTA's role in Australian swimming, how they develop coaches and the current COVID crisis. Enjoy. So I'm absolutely delighted to uh, welcome Brendan Ward to the uh, the podcast today. Brendan is the CEO of the Australian Swimming Coaches and Teachers Association, otherwise known as ASTA. Um, Brendan, before we talk about ASTA, you've got a fascinating background. Um, I was just looking at, looking at your LinkedIn profile. Um, you seem to work for all sorts of peak bodies from Water Safety New Zealand. You've been with the Charities Commission. You've been Rugby New Zealand, the New Zealand Recreation Association. You've been in banking for 12 years and a TV commentator for nine years. <laughs> Can you help us join the dots and sort of give, give us a bit about briefly as to you know, <laughs> what makes you tick and how you got to do what you do today? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Ben. Uh, it's great to be with you on your podcast. And swim does rock, believe me. Um, I've had an aquatic background for all my life. Uh, I can't remember a time that I haven't been in the water. In fact, I remember my first swim teacher, Mr. Michael John, from the Boys and Girls Institute in Wellington in New Zealand. Uh, and I suppose I just got hooked. Um, I found that I was never a very fast swimmer, uh, but I was quite big and strong as a kid. Uh, and I could throw a ball pretty well. So I ended up playing water polo. Um, I think that's what most failed swimmers do. You get into water polo or surf lifesaving or something else. Uh, and um, it, was, it became my life. Water polo was, was absolutely everything to me. And ended up representing New Zealand. I played at a couple of world champs and Olympic qualifying tournament. We were never good enough to get to the Olympics. And that was one of my goals. And so I thought, well, if I can't get there as an athlete, how else could I get there? So I became a, a FINA water polo referee uh, and then uh, also at the same time pursued a career in commentating. So I was doing voluntary commentaries on radio in Wellington, uh, covering all sorts of different sports and uh, was lucky enough to be selected by Television New Zealand to go to Athens, which obviously is the, the home of Olympics and and the birth of the Olympic movement. And uh, to add to that, I was uh, very fortunate to be there with my father, who was also a commentator with Television New Zealand. And we ended up commentating the water polo together. And uh, that was uh, the one of the highlights of my life, uh, not even a career thing. Um, so yeah, fascinating career. Uh, and, and now I find myself in a situation where I've been able to combine my passion with my profession. And that's just outstanding. Awesome. Awesome. I bet you can tell a few stories uh, over a beer or two about working with your dad as, uh, as commentator, but we'll perhaps save those to later. <laughs> so ASTA, uh, the Australian Swimming Coaches and Teachers Association. What is it? Tell us. What's it all about? Great question. It was established back in the 1970s. Uh, and I think at that time there was a reputation between coaches and Swimming Australia that probably wasn't as healthy as it could have been. And uh, I think there was an opportunity for coaches to get together and say, well, actually, let's try and have some positive influence on what's going on. And uh, I think as time moved on, the teachers were brought in 
and then more recently swim schools. And so I guess we, we're the only peak body in Australia that covers that whole spectrum of coaches, teachers and swim schools. And um, we're a, a full affiliate member of Swimming Australia and uh, work really closely with them, particularly in the coach development area. Uh, but also have that whole sort of swim school, learn to swim, swim teacher side of things. Uh, so you know, I guess it's a it's a nice challenge to think about those three constituent stakeholder groups uh, and what we do, and and a really nice way for us to try and segue those people that get in and learn to swim uh, as a teacher into some of the more competitive swimming side of things. So for those that don't know, how many coaches are there in Australia? We have just over 2,000 financial coach members. But we know that that's probably, I don't know what a percentage might be. I think, you know, maybe maybe 50 to 70% of the coaches are members. Uh, we know there's a lot of coaches that aren't members of ours and don't hold accreditation. And that's something that we uh, consistently try and, increase the number of people who do hold those um, accreditations, qualifications and membership, because obviously the, the more informed and educated our coaches are, the better our swimmers will be. And uh, not only at a state and national level, but also on the international stage. Now, our listener is probably a parent who has a swimmer or two in the water and you know knows their coach as being you know the man or the lady that uh, sets them exercises and is always there you know day and night weekends as well stopwatches around their neck going whoop you know and doing all the <laughs> doing all the clever stuff but can you can you just sort of unpack for us a bit about the the sort of how Stokes coaches start off in their in their coaching career and what sort of pathway that they might go through and um, you know your role in, in in supporting their development. I think a lot of coaches actually start uh, in one of two kind of pathways. The first one is as an athlete, where they may have been a swimmer and for whatever reason have decided that their career is over. It might be age or health or injury or whatever else. Uh, performance level could be other things and decide that they want to give back. Uh, they're really interested in swimming, passionate about it. And so become a coach. And I guess the first introductory level is our, our we have a qualification for swim teachers called uh, swim Australia teacher of competitive swimming. And there's an equivalent uh, that I swim offer. Uh, and that's the entry level qualification for people to become a coach. I guess the other way is where we've got people who have started out in the swim teaching area and decide that they really love that environment, love seeing children excel or grow and develop uh, and decide they want to get into the coaching. So it's the same thing. It's the same introductory qualification. I guess they may have a head start because they've done a bit of teaching, uh, but then equally the athletes have got a head start because they know the dynamics of being in the water and, uh, and, and how that impacts on things like movement and so on. So, look, I think those are probably the two main pathways. Of course, there are others, and you know, you never know where people might um, want to join into into that that pathway or that career around coaching. But those are probably the two main ones. And um, I, I guess we support teachers and and athletes to move into that coaching pathway by not only offering 
that qualification and accreditation, but also by providing a membership opportunity where they can access a whole lot of really fantastic resources, information and people that can help them down that coaching track. And, you know, whether it's a, a mentorship or something that's less formal, you know, we've got a, a fantastic community of people and coaches, I think by their very nature, they want to help, they want to coach people. And whether that's coaching an athlete or coaching another coach, uh, you know, it's a great environment for people to learn and grow and develop. Yes, I find it fascinating. I mean, I've been around swimming as a, as a parent and administrator for, for getting on for 10 years. And it's literally probably only in the last several months, possibly as a result of me working closely with people at Swimming Australia, that I've really started to understand the depth and, and in coaching and the experience. Um, I mean, although I've always sort of thought coaches are amazing people in terms of what they can get athletes to do, you know, there's literally people out there who could probably do PhDs in coaching and all sorts. Can you tell us a bit about, you know, once people become an entry level coach, what sort of stages they may go through and what qualifications they, they may gain in order to, um, you know, get them to, to do some of the amazing things they do. I think you did right. Uh, ben, we, we've got some of the best coaches in the world and a lot of our coaches are, I suppose, on the international market because of the fact that they are so successful and, and well-qualified. <clears throat> I think there's two distinct things that we look at. And one is the, the science of coaching and the formal qualifications and the theory behind it. And then there's the art of coaching, the art of having those crucial conversations with athletes and really knowing how to get the best out of uh, an athlete or a swimmer. Uh, when to push the buttons, when to push back, uh, when to pull back a bit. Uh, and so Swimming Australia and, and ourselves an, a number of years ago developed some really sound qualifications. Those have been updated more recently, particularly at the higher levels. And, um, and, and those qualifications are offered by Swimming Australia. Um, there's a really good blended learning model where people can do some of the content online and in their own time, in their own place, and then a mix of uh, practical, in the pool, at the pool, face-to-face uh, -face workshops, and so on. So it really is a, a very good methodology for, I guess, providing upskilling and, and education as, as quickly as possible. Uh, but I guess the, the comments that I'm getting more and more from coaches uh, at the top level and who are aspiring to that top level is that you really can't beat the poolside conversations and the poolside experience. And one of the things that uh, a lot of our top coaches have got the most benefit from are, for instance, the national event camps, uh, where they're actually exposed to the best coaches in the country, coaching the best athletes in the country and seeing what those coaches do with those athletes, some of the sets that they run, uh, some of the, the, you know, the way they talk with the athletes and communicate with them, the demonstrations that are provided. Uh, and, you know, th those are the golden moments. They're really the, the touch points uh, that most coaches will, will point to and say, that's what really helped shape me as a coach. Mm. Let's see we could change gear a bit and sort of reflect on the fact that it's now, we're talking on the, on the 6th of May, uh, we're in the middle of this um, COVID-19 crisis. 
I know around here there's a number of coaches that are either underemployed or unemployed. Uh, what, what, how, are you, how are you all working and, and supporting and uh, what, what sort of mode are you in at the moment? Yeah, it's, it is a crisis at the moment. You're, you're absolutely right. And we've been, I suppose we've been quite reactive in many respects. Um, when, when whole shutdown occurred back on around the 23rd of March, we started running some town hall type meetings for coaches and getting them in. And, and there were lots of unanswered questions, you know, from government, from us, uh, from coaches, from employers. And so really what we tried to do was just provide information that was sound and, and reliable, that was based on government advice and information. And we ran a couple of those town hall sessions for coaches and uh, very soon determined actually that, there was a lot of capacity, as you say, underemployed. Uh, so coaches who were still wanting to engage with their swimmers, still wanting to maintain contact. Uh, and so what we've been doing is every Tuesday and Thursday from one till two o'clock uh, Australian Eastern Standard Time, we've been running a webinar series and we've had some of the greatest minds in, in coaching in Australia. Uh, Bill Sweetenham uh, did a session, a couple of, uh, well, last Thursday, actually, where he was talking about matching and pairing athletes with each other to get the best result. You know, the whole one plus one equals more than two um, by, by patching up the right sort of personalities and, and psychologies of people. Uh, we've had Stefan Vidmar, who was a former Queensland state head coach, uh, now currently the head coach in Singapore. Uh, we had him talking just yesterday about uh, about a whole bunch of training techniques that people could be thinking about and doing during this downtime when they can't access the swimming pool environment. Um, and, uh, you know, Wayne Goldsmith talking about soft skills of coaches. I, I talked about the art of coaching, you know, that, that's those soft skills that really are so key. So with Yako um, uh, Vahara, our, our national head coach, Rowan Taylor, mentor coach. Uh, so those are the sorts of people we've had doing the presentations and uh, we've got more to come. Michael Boll doing a session called Flying. And uh, whilst he is a, a great butterfly coach, it might not necessarily just focus on butterfly, but, you know, flying through the water. Uh, so we've got a, uh, a program going right through till the end of June where coaches can come on board and for an hour or more, uh, most of the sessions end up going through till about 2.30. By the time we have questions and answers and, you know, just a, an opportunity to, to join that community. So that's probably the main thing that we've been doing for coaches at the moment and keeping them engaged and keeping them informed uh, with things like job keeper and job seeker and all those other things that we've, we've now uh, coined terms for, which we never knew three or four weeks ago. Uh, so, you know, it has been a very interesting time. We've also set up an online community, which is called Asta Connects for all of our members. And it's an opportunity for people to uh, not only share stories, ask questions and be part of a community, but also to access a whole library of, uh, library of resources uh, recordings of all the webinars, PowerPoint presentations, uh, information on on all sorts of things to do with COVID nineteen and 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 other things around coaching. Wow, a, you've had to change probably like many of us literally overnight to a whole new way of working um, with with no water in sight. Absolutely, yeah. So maybe a bit too soon to ask the question, but uh, you know, looking ahead uh, as as the government plots its its way out of where we are now, um, 
do you do you know what the, your next steps forward will be uh, as a community, as a coaching community, once government restrictions ease, or are you going to wait and, and see what the government says before uh, announcing anything or planning anything? Uh, I think a combination of the both, actually. Uh, we've been trying to get on the front foot. We've been doing a fair bit of advocacy at a government level and bearing in mind that most of the decisions around uh, reversing the, the shutdown or opening things up are, are being made at a state level. We've been um, communicating with all of the state health, sport, education ministers and, and premiers uh, to try and get them to think about not only the, the sport of swimming, but also the learn to swim area uh, and the fact that that is an essential service and, you know, they are providing life skills, as most parents will know. Maybe uh, the reason they got their kids into swimming in the first place was uh, to ensure they were safe in the water and then things develop um, much the same way that happened with me. So I think, um, first of all, we're trying to say, look, let's get back in the water. Let's let's let things reopen. But I think there is a acknowledgement that things are not going to be the same when we reemerge uh, and may never be the same. And so what we're trying to do is get some of our thought leaders to think about what does that look like in future? What does that mean for coaches in terms of the, the way they coach, the number of swimmers or, or uh, in the case of Learn to Swim, the number of students in the pool at any one time? Um, how they're managed, um, you know, the, all those kinds of things. Um, I think this is presenting an opportunity for a lot of coaches to think about what they want their programs to look like. And if there were things that weren't quite right when they closed, then this is the opportunity to reset, uh, to, I suppose, set the tone when they come back, uh, think about the improvements that they want to make to their programs or their swimmers and to implement those in a way which is going to be meaningful and, and impactful. Um, and I guess that's some of the, the topics that we've been talking about on those webinars. You know, what are some of the things that, uh, that people can think about? Uh, for instance, Lee Nugent next week is doing a session which is about the importance of reflecting on your last preparation. Uh, you know, how good was that preparation? What did the swimmers achieve? Did they get to their potential? Did they create PBs? Those sorts of things. Uh, and, and so you know, I guess what we're trying to do is really get the coaches to think about what's coming and about how they can um, maximise the opportunity that's available right now. Uh, you know, there's a lot of planning, a lot of thinking going on, and that, that's not just for the elite coaches of the Dolphins who are heading to the Olympics. I think it's, it's right across the board. And actually, it sounds like when people do get back in the water, everything will have changed. I mean, not only will the perhaps the, the way of swimming and training change due to government regulations, but it sounds like the, the coaches will have done a lot of professional development and we're bringing a whole bunch of new ideas to the, uh, to the poolside. That's, that's certainly the intention. Yes. Um, you know, I think, uh, as I said, we've got some of the best coaches in the world. And um, if we want to continue to be at the top, we need to keep evolving and developing and growing. Uh, you know, I guess uh, that, that's that's where we've been, that's where our thinking has been and where we've been trying to, to have an influence. So um, yeah, that's certainly our intention. Well, Brendan, before we get into the quick fire round, I must ask you about uh, swimming versus water polo. <laughs> because uh, you know our, our listener will will know one or the other, and because they're both in the water and have coaches, they'll probably assume they're pr they're pretty similar. Uh, I'm sure in many respects they're completely similar. In many respects they're completely different. Can, can you can you perhaps share with us your you, you've been deep on both sides? Uh, what what some of the surprising differences are between the two? 
Uh, well, first of all, uh, for a lot of swimmers, uh, they have a lot more lean body mass than water polo players. Uh, you think about water polo, it's, you don't not only have to be a fast swimmer, you have to be uh, you know, a sprinter, but also have the endurance. Uh, you have to be able to wrestle and fight and tussle uh, to be able to egg beat to get up out of the water and, and toss a ball around, uh, uh, hopefully get it past the goalkeeper every now and then. Uh, so I think I think probably um, I think the differences are quite a different stroke. Uh, water polo players tend to have a shorter stroke, higher head position, um, maybe a bit more upper body strength. Um, uh, but um, yeah, look, I um, I think as I said, water polo was my life, and now I don't want to have anything to do with it. <laughs> I'm maxed out. <laughs> All right, we won't ask you any more about water polo then. So let's <laughs> let, let's move on to the quick fire round to close off with, if we may. Sure. Um, five questions. Number one: What's been the most useful piece of advice or equipment that you've had in your aquatic career? Oh my goodness! Uh, advice or equipment? Uh, I had a really, really good Russian water polo coach, uh, and and I loved his his phraseology and he used to stand at the end of the pool with his stopwatch. We'd do our, our sprints, we'd simulate a game. So we'd do four lots of uh, 10, 25 sprints. And uh, in between the sprints, he'd say, you've got to get the oxygen to the muscles. <laughs> so I think that's the best advice. You, you've got to keep breathing. Got to keep breathing. <laughs> I'll take that one. I'll take that one. You've got to keep breathing. Okay. Very good. Um, if you were to officiate as a New South Wales meet, which I'm sure you wouldn't, um, the lucky door prize is a, is a bottle of wine or a box of chocolates. Are you wine or chocolates? Yes. Yeah, I am both wine and chocolates. <laughs> I mean, you've been greedy now. You've got to make a decision. Don't sit on the fence. I'll probably go with the chocolates first. With a, with a wine chaser. Okay. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Number three, if you had your swimming uh, or aquatic career all over again, what, if anything, would you do differently? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think I'd probably move to Australia sooner. Uh, see if I could make the Australian Olympic team and then have a shot at being an athlete at the Olympics. <laughs> Very nice. Question four. What's your 50 metres freestyle personal best time? Oh, 50. 50 free. Um, I've, yeah, I've never really swum in a race um, off the blocks so it's probably more kind of a push start uh, 350 with um, as I say my Russian coach at the end with the stopwatch and it was probably something around 26 or 27 seconds uh, so um, yeah like I said not not really the fastest swimmer which is why I played water polo uh, fastest 100 time would be about a 58.5 fastest 400 time 435 so yeah not not hugely competitive <laughs> pretty impressive pretty impressive pretty impressive and uh, final question what's been your most exciting swimming moment my most exciting swimming moment i can remember this so vividly uh and i was at the world champs in in uh rome uh, back in 94 and <clears throat> i remember the last night of the world champs we'd finished competing in the water polo and uh, we all went along to the pool because we had those wonderful passes that kind of got us into like the golden ticket and charlie in the chocolate factory 
Uh, and, um, and I remember going along and watching the 1500 uh, with um, Kieran Perkins and, um, and, and thinking, wow, this is, it. This, is, um, this is just a magical moment. I never thought a 1500 metre race could be so exciting. Um, I think uh, Dan Kowalski and, and, um, and Kieran Perkins going at it. And, um, you know, for, I think Dan broke the world record but came second. <laughs> so that was a pretty magical moment. Brendan Ward, CEO of Asta, thank you so much indeed for your time today. It's been wonderful talking to you. You're welcome. Thanks, Ben. Lovely to talk to you as well. We would like to take this time to tell you about our new digital community. It is a free online platform where you can share stories and experiences with other like-minded swimming people who share the collective goal of helping our swimmers become the best they can be. To request to join, simply type in the URL community.swim.rocks and press the big request to join button. Alternatively, head over to our Facebook and Instagram pages, click the link to our community page and follow the prompts. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If all goes to plan, we should be back in the water very, very soon. But until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay dry.